0: Can they hear me now? Oh, that was it. All right. Sorry, guys at home. We didn't realize we were, had no sound. So to recap, uh, we're going to be talking about a one-on-one that happened between Jesus and John the Baptist. And we talked a little bit about nicknames and why John got his nickname. I've had nicknames in my life, but none of them ever stuck. And that's probably because the nicknames didn't really reflect who I was as a person. But John the Baptist's nickname so reflected who he was that it basically became his name. So with that, we're going to t- we turned over to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm not going to reread it, but if you get a chance at home to uh, read it, the-, the basic idea there is Mark is giving us an introduction to who John the Baptist is. And what I want to do is, based on this introduction, give a little bit of background as to how he got his name, the Baptist. So John the Baptist was born sometime in the late 1st century B.C., and he became one of the most revered figures in Palestine, in the early first century AD. Jesus would later say that all, of all the men born of women, none was greater than John the Baptist. His parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were descendants of Levi through Aaron, and they were part of the priestly caste in Israel, with his father serving at the temple in Jerusalem. John was raised in a rural area outside the city of Jerusalem, and he grew up convinced from a very early age that he was called by God to become a prophet. Now, immersed in this conviction, everything John did, from how he dressed to even what he ate, reflected his calling. But his appearance and his diet weren't the only things that were prophet-like about John the Baptist. So was his message. And his message is mentioned in verse 4 of Mark chapter 1. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that message, more than anything else, defined his life. And that's how he got the nickname, John the Baptist. Now, before I go any further, I just want to point out something here. And that those of us who have repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins have been, like John, called by God. And just like John, everything we do should reflect That calling. Now, I've never seen the TV show Jersey Shore, but I'm told that one of the main characters is a guy by the name of Mike Sorrentino, and he has a nickname, The Situation. Now, this nickname was given to him because of some comment made about his abs. Now, I've had a couple nicknames in my life, but none of them were ever about my abs. And if they were about my abs, they probably would have been called The Problem, as in Houston, we have a problem. My point is this, those of us who have been repented, who have repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we have been given a new name, a nickname. It's called Christian. And that means that everything we do going forward from that moment should be a reflection of that name. For me, that meant becoming a minister. But I didn't become just any minister. I became a Christian minister. For someone else, they may become a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, but they're not just any of those things. They're a Christian, one of those things, because everything we do should reflect our calling. Turn with me to, what I want to do now is reread Mark chapter one, verses one through four, and focus solely on those verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. You know, according to Mark in in verse one there, before John was baptized the Baptist, he could have just have easily been nicknamed the beginning, as in, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. Because it was with John that belief in Jesus, the Christ, or Messiah, began. But he became John the Baptist because of his message in verse 4. His message of repentance for forgiveness and baptism in Jesus, in baptism. You know, the crazy thing about John's message that one of repentance and forgiveness and baptism in Jesus' name, he started it literally before he knew who Jesus was. He started preaching that message before he knew Jesus was the Messiah. It was repentance and baptism in the name of the Messiah. But no one at that point in time, actually not even John, knew who the Messiah would be, yet John started preaching the message even before jesus had been fully revealed you know god doesn't always do things in the order or the way that we think he should but that doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing john chapter one verse 19 now this was john's testimony when the jewish leaders in jerusalem sent priests and levites to ask him who he was he did not fail to confess but confess freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, they, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who, want, who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize? if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So as John's notoriety grew, and people were flocking to him by the, literally by the thousands from all over Palestine to be baptized for forgiveness and I mean in, for repentance and forgiveness, So did the consternation of the Jewish leadership at the temple in Jerusalem. So they sent a delegation of investigators to find out what John was doing. And although they had a lot of questions here, there were really only two fundamental questions they were asking. Number one, who are you? And number two, why are you baptizing for forgiveness? So I want to talk about the second question first. Now, we've already learned in previous lessons that in Judaism, especially at the time in the first century of Jesus's day, but even before that, baptism or immersion in water was common. It was a common practice in Jerusalem, and it was usually always associated with repentance. It was a way to say, hey, I'm going to start over. Or I'm going to take this vow and I'm going to do this for a while except in the cases of conversion and of the day of atonement, then baptism had the additional reference or meaning of forgiveness. Now, John had been baptized. Now had John been baptizing for repentance only, there would have been no investigation because, but because he was baptizing for forgiveness, the temple leadership had a problem and rightly so. Because according to the law, that's what the Day of Atonement was for. And we talked about the Day of Atonement several weeks back in another lesson. But to summarize it, for the past 1,500 years, ever since the Law of Moses was given at Sinai, every year on the 10th Day of Tishri, which was sometime in late September, October, the high priest would offer sacrifices, and then he would be baptized on behalf of all the people for the forgiveness of their sins for the previous year, committed during the previous year. So there was no need for John the Baptist to change that. I mean, this had been going on for for centuries. This is what the law said. And now here's John going, well, maybe not. Maybe baptism is, is for repentance and forgiveness. And that was causing a problem for the Jewish leadership. They understood John to be a prophet, but they wanted to know by whose authority Do you have the right to change the rules? I mean, this has been the rule. The Day of Atonement has been the rule for 1,500 years. Who gave you the authority to make that change? And that's the second question they asked. Who are you? They wanted to know by whose authority he was changing the rules. He was changing the meaning of baptism. Before, it was always about repentance. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, it was associated with forgiveness. But John was just sort of willy-nilly baptizing anybody and their brother that would come to him for repentance and forgiveness. And that was a problem. It was a change in the accepted way of doing things. So they asked him, who are you? Who gave you the authority to do this? Now, to the first question about why are you baptizing? I love John's answer. He basically said he quotes Isaiah, and he, uh, uh, um, I'm voice of one calling in the in the wilderness. In other words, he basically says, "Hey, don't shoot me! I'm just the messenger." But to the second question of who gave you the authority to do this, he said in verses 26 and 27, "But among you stands one you do not, you don't know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy." To untie. In other words, John basically said to them, I don't know, but he's here somewhere. That's literally what he said. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's incredible to think that John was baptizing pre-Messiah, pre-identifying who the Messiah was for forgiveness and for repentance and forgiveness. He was doing that prior to the revelation of who the Messiah actually was. And the fact is, at this point in time, John the Baptist himself didn't even know who the Messiah was. The more I get into the Bible, right, the more I dig into the scriptures, the more I'm reminded that God doesn't always behave the way that I think he should. In fact, sometimes he does things that I think he shouldn't. Funny story, but 10 years ago, the L.A. leadership of the L.A. church got together and they asked all the ministry leaders, to write down what they expected their ministry to look like in the next 10 years. It was called the 2020 Vision Plan. And it was a big deal. I mean, we had to put all this time and energy into it. We had to write it all out. And it was like, this is what we're doing and this is where we're gonna go in the next 10 years. But I can tell you as I stand here today in 2020, we were all wrong. Every one of us got it wrong. Because sometimes even the best laid plans of mice and men go awry. How do you respond when things don't go as you expect? What is your reaction to that? I just want to share this little side note. Luke chapter 7, verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me." We're fast forwarding time a little bit after John had baptized Jesus, after Jesus had been revealed by John there that we, and we're going to go back to that in a minute. But after all that, several months later into the future, we see John the Baptist true to his calling. He was a prophet. He couldn't help himself. He started rebuking King Herod for his unlawful marriage to Herodias, who happened to be the divorced wife of his own half-brother, Philip. And, and as a result, he ends up in jail. And while he's in jail, John realizes that things aren't going to go well. They're not going to end well for him. And so he sends messengers to Jesus and he wants to know, did I get it wrong? Am I in jail because I messed up? I mean, what did I do wrong? The plan didn't go the way I thought it would go. Jesus responded to him with the message, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, I think Jesus was telling John, John, I know you thought things were going to play out differently, but don't give up on me now. Now's not the time to back out. Now's not the time to quit. You know, I think that's a response that all of us would do well to imitate when things don't pan out the way you think they should. So now I want to land this plane. We're going to close out and we're going to go back this time. To Matthew chapter 3 and this is the actual encounter between Jesus and John the actual interaction that we we spent all this time sort of building up to Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John but John tried, but John tried to deter him saying sorry I got sunlight on my screen here it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then John consented As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Son of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice in heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You know, all four Gospels record an interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist. But of the four accounts, only Matthew records the actual words that they exchanged. In verse 14, John the Baptist, upon seeing Jesus come, basically says, hey, I, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. Now, I've always thought that that interaction was an indication that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, that he knew he was the Messiah. That's why he said, hey, you should baptize me. But after everything we've just learned today, that really John was, started his ministry long before he realized who the Messiah specifically was, long before he realized it was Jesus, i've come I've changed my mind on this. I've come to believe that John and Jesus knew there was something special about it, about each other, but John didn't know how special Jesus was going to turn out to be. And so I think what we see here is John just simply recognizing the specialness, the uniqueness of who Jesus was. Wow, well, man, you're my my younger cousin by about six months and there were prophecies about your birth just like they were about my birth. But after growing up with you, you're way greater than I am. I can tell that already. But maybe he didn't realize Jesus was the Messiah just yet. So when Jesus shows up, he's like, wow, you're a better man than I am. You should probably baptize me. That's, I think, actually, when you put the whole story together, you compare all the gospels. I think that's more accurate to what happened in this moment. Jesus declines. And he says, let it be so now, for it is proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the the phrase let be so is easy. We know this. It means amen. So Jesus basically said, amen, John. Thank you for the compliment. But hey, we got to do this anyways. Now, that part of Jesus's answer is a little confusing to me. What did he mean? And listen, I've read tons of versions of this, different translations. I've looked at all a bunch of different commentaries, more than I want to share with you. And everybody seems to have something a little different to say about what did Jesus mean when he said, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so I just want to pause on that statement for a minute and say at the outset that I can't, I can't stand here before you and definitively give you the official answer. It's really not even explained much in the text. It's just said. So the best I can do after digging into it and trying to understand it is to just give you my top three. Here's the top three reasons why I think Jesus said, hey, we got to go ahead and just do this. And the reason why it's confusing, before I get to the top three, the reason why it's a bit confusing is that Jesus is the only person alive who technically didn't need to be baptized. He had no sin to repent of, and he had no sin to be forgiven of. So if baptism, as John taught it, was for repentance and forgiveness, then why baptize Jesus? That's kind of the confusion with this whole interaction. But I believe there were reasons, and here are my three reasons why I think Jesus said, nope, we got to do this and we got to do it to fulfill all righteousness. Number one, it was just God's will. God just said it needed to be done. Let's get it done. That's pretty straightforward. Number two, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy. We didn't we looked at it briefly, but in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 30, actually we may not have read it, John the Baptist is told by God that, the, that he's going to find the Messiah. And the way he's going to find them is by baptizing everybody he meets for, uh, for repentance and forgiveness. And then one of them, you're going to get a sign that's going to indicate he's the one. And so, Jesus, so John was baptizing in part, not only for repentance and forgiveness, but in part to find who the Messiah was. He was looking for the Messiah himself. He just knew he was coming. He was around somewhere, but he was trying to figure out who he was. And so every time he baptized someone, it was like he came out of the water. Nope. Let's go to the next one. Maybe it's him. Nope. Let's go on to the next one. So it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But here's the kicker, and I think this is what's significant for us today it was a validation. It was a validation or confirmation of John's baptism of repentance for forgiveness. You see, in verses sixteen and seventeen, after Jesus was baptized by John, the heavens opened; the Holy Spirit came down out of heaven in the in the form of a dove. And this voice of God spoke and said, here is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So boom, John got his answer, right? Baptize one guy, baptize another guy. Here comes Jesus. Boom, all this stuff happens. And all of a sudden, John's like, oh, you're the one. Interesting to note, if you go back and read the account of this whole story in the the gospel of John, John, not the same John as John the Baptist, but the gospel writer, John, he literally says when the Pharisees came and were asking him, hey, why are you doing this? Who's authority? When he said to them, I don't know, but he's here somewhere. It was the very next day when he baptized Jesus and all this happened. And then John went and told them, there he is, I found him. It's a funny story when you think about it, how God puts things and does things. Here's my point I'm trying to make. John the Baptist was right. The day of atonement was going away. It was to be no more. And the new way was repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Now, sadly, many, including the temple authorities, they rejected John's baptism and they rejected the fact that Jesus was the one who made it authentic. And as a result, they missed out on one of the greatest gifts ever given to mankind, the gifts of forgiveness. Not to mention the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we didn't even get into today. So if there's anything I want to say to you in light of what we've learned in this one-on-one between Jesus and John the Baptist, it's this. What are you waiting for? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. For those of us who have repented and been baptized, in Jesus' name, and we've received the forgiveness of sins, my comment to you is, what are you waiting for? Go into your world and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, and be the best baker, butcher, and candlestick maker you can be. been holding on for too long. Singing the same, those the same songs Putting me behind the misery It's all for me Been holding on for too long But now I've got nothing to hold on It all just sounds like